Today's scripture reading is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 21. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along. The reading will also be on the screen behind me. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Vivian. So here's what we do at the Parks Church. We, uh, we preach through, we, lo- we love the word of God, one, amen? And two, we, uh, we typically find ourselves preaching through uh, books of the Bible. And uh, I am not preaching through all of Philippians and starting in a really, really weird spot. Um, we are actually, typically what we do in January of the new year is we go through uh, our whole life discipleship series. We spend four weeks talking through and again laying the foundation of what we're all about here at the Parks Church. And uh, I am actually not going to do that this year. Uh, I'm going to try to fit a whole four-week series into one 30-minute message, okay? Um, and some of you are like, yeah, right. Um, but then next week, we are actually starting our study in uh, the book of Revelation. And... Uh, Okay, okay, um, all right, that's cool, um, and, and here's why, which your applause kind of confirms it, um, I, I feel like, and, and I haven't felt this strongly about a particular book as I've sought the Lord and, and asked the Lord, what, 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 in this new year, what is it that you want us to unpack and wade through in, in your word, uh, the book of Revelation? 
And uh, I know some of you have, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit, some of you have preconceived ideas of what that book, some of you have uh, baggage, church baggage or wounds because of how that was maybe taught or laid out or expounded, uh, I don't know, but I pray that you'll come with uh, a fresh uh, heart, a, 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 an open mind to what Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit want to say in and through uh, the book of Revelation. But again, like, like I want to say to you, I haven't felt as strongly about, okay, the Lord's leading in a particular book for us to, to walk through like I have um, in in, in the book of Revelation, and, and so really excited to jump into that next week. However, I feel like even in wading into the book of Revelation, it, it's going to hit on many of the things we desire to hit on in a whole life discipleship uh, series. But this morning, I do want to frame, um, at least as we begin this year, uh, what we do and what we don't do oftentimes here at the Parks Church. And, and there's a phrase that we use, and we've been using it for about the last four years. It's this idea of whole life discipleship. Our heart at the Parks Church is to be whole life disciples, right? Being transformed. You're not going to put the, you're going to make me say the phrase. Uh, being transformed by the way of Jesus. This is a phrase that is common to our body. So if you're new, this is the first Sunday for you. This is actually a great Sunday for you to be here. If you've been with us for the 13 years of our existence, this is a great Sunday for you to be here as just a reminder of why we do what the heart of the Parks Church is and why oftentimes we don't do what we do. And, uh, and so it's all around this heart of, of, of our desire to see the Spirit form in this body whole life disciples. We are passionate about discipleship. Now, that is a worn out word in the church, and I'm aware of that. And so when you hear the word discipleship in our body, um, we believe there are certain things that transpire. And by discipleship, this is what we mean here at the Parks Church, okay? You can put up the first one. A, a whole life disciple or discipleship is a response to an invitation of Jesus. You have to understand that the, 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 the process of being made into a disciple is a response to the invitation of Jesus. And here is his invitation to every single person in this room. Many of you who have responded yes to that invitation is this, come follow me. That's the invitation of Jesus. So the starting gates to discipleship is responding to the invitation of Jesus to come follow him. That's important, to follow Jesus, okay? And then this is going to set up my talk through uh, Philippians 3, so you have to get this. The second thing is this, that, that discipleship or the process of following Jesus engages every aspect of our life. That's why we call it whole life discipleship. Now, it's like, Kyle, do you really need to say whole life discipleship? It kind of seems redundant because there's no such thing as partial life discipleship. That's not what it means to, to, to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means that you have surrendered your whole life to him. Every facet, every sphere, every inch is his, right? That's what responding to the invitation looks like. It looks like responding to Jesus' rule and reign in all of our life, that it, it reaches into every facet, school, into our, our vocation or our workplace, into our home, into our marriage, into our parenting, into our friendships, every sphere. Nothing is off limits. Our whole life is Jesus's. The second thing is this, that, that that process is a lifelong journey. A lifelong journey. I'm going to talk more about that um, this morning as well. And then lastly, as Michael talked about last week um, on New Year's Eve, that this is a journey. This is, this, is, this is something done in community. It's done with others. The local church, this faith family, if you are part of this church, is a, a, an irreplaceable part of us following Jesus with our whole lives. 
And so again, if you're just peering into the church or you're just visiting, listen, you're, you're coming into a faith family that believes desperately these things, that believes that Jesus didn't call people just to be converts. He called people into being his disciples. The word disciple in the New Testament is the word learner. So people who are dependent upon his word through the power of the Holy Spirit, teaching them the way of Jesus, okay? And now I get that that little phrase, whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus, might come off as cute or trite or just be familiar to, to many of you, but I want to unpack this through Philippians 3 this morning. And there are some things that we have to understand if we truly are going to wade into and continue in whole life discipleship. Now, when we think of a disciple in the Bible, typically we think of the 12 guys who follow Jesus, right? You think of a disciple, and, and that's right. You're, you're not wrong to think that way. But as I was looking at and studying Philippians 3, I began to see Paul as a disciple of Jesus, right? Paul, he's an apostle. Yes, I understand that as well. But he was also a learner of Jesus. He was somebody being transformed by the way of Jesus profoundly in his life. And, and even what Vivian began reading this morning, look at it as we begin to unpack the text. In verse 8, he says things like, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Like, how do we in our lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus, get to a place where we can echo the language, and he told us, by the way, to imitate him, right? How do we begin in our lives to, to begin to use words like that? I count everything as loss. Everything in my life is worth nothing when it's compared to the surpassing worth of knowing who Jesus is and following Jesus. Well, the first thing is this. A whole life disciple has to understand a handful of things, and Paul lays them out in Philippians 3, what we just read, and we're going to unpack this morning. The first thing is this. You understand as a whole life disciple the absolute unmatched worthiness of Jesus. This is and always will be the foundation of our discipleship, of you as a disciple and me as a disciple. Now, let's remember Philippians 3 and not pull it out of context that, that, that Paul, earlier in chapter 3, he talks about his worldly resume, if you will. He talks about all the things that make him essentially the man by worldly standards. He's like, if anybody's got reason to boast in their flesh, if anybody's got reason to say, I'm worthy of praise, I'm worthy of everything, like, look at me, and he lays out kind of his resume. Hebrew of Hebrews, he, he's like, uh, in, in terms of the law, he's like, I was blameless to the law. It's like, Paul's like, I had nothing more I could possibly do. I had reached the top. I was the top. I was the standard. So listen to me. If anybody has any reason to boast in the flesh, Paul goes, it was me, however. However. There was then a collision with his life, with the what? With the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that totally transformed his view and his, his, his perception of who he was and what was actually worthy in boasting. And what Paul says here is, I count everything as lost. My entire resume, all that I am, all that I've done, all the accomplishments I've stacked up, all the worthiness I think I have, pales in comparison to what? The worthiness of Jesus. That he is worthy Alone. Now, again, like I've said, this is the foundation of discipleship is Jesus, is knowing Jesus, seeing his surpassing beauty. Listen, if you don't believe that Jesus is worth your whole life, whole life devotion, you'll never, never give him the worship or devotion he actually deserves. Is Jesus truly worthy of your whole life? Is he? 
And you're like, yes, we'll, we'll get to the real answers here in a second, maybe. The second thing that Paul lays in verse 9, so not just the unmatched worthiness of Jesus, but the source of our righteousness. So look at this. In verse 9, he said, continuing verse 8, actually, he says, For sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, if you're not careful there, you're like, wait a minute. Is Paul saying that you can gain Jesus? You can gain salvation? You can gain your righteousness? Oh, no, not at all, because look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection for the dead. And so it begins with this, this foundation of discipleship being laid in the unmatched worthiness of Jesus, recognizing that. Then you understand from there that the source of your righteousness, your right standing with God, is not found in you. It's not found in what you do, but it is found in Christ alone. Well, Kyle, why does this matter? Well, if the source of your righteousness or right standing before God is something other than Jesus or God himself, you don't have salvation, biblical salvation. If your right standing before God is you and your accomplishments, then you have what's called a works-based righteousness, which doesn't ever stand up before God. In fact, the Bible says he actually opposes that. Where you would bring your works, you'd bring your merit, you'd bring your, 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 your uh, good deeds, and you'd go, God, this is, this is what pleases you most. God, this is what gets me into a relationship with you. And he goes, wait a minute, you have actually despised the way I've provided for you, which is through my son. You see, Paul understood this. Paul, in his pursuit, how could Paul say, I count everything else as lost because he understood the unmatched beauty and mercy of Jesus Christ, and he understood that that was his source of righteousness. That was the foundation by which he followed Jesus from. Not, it, listen, it wasn't the reversed, right? It wasn't going, I've got to do all these things, then God is going to be so pleased. Listen, I'm Paul, and I've done all these things, all these missionary journeys. God, aren't you pleased with all the journeys I've been on, all the miles I've put on the boat, all the times I've been in prison? God, aren't you pleased? He goes, no, the source of my righteousness this is what? Jesus in faith in him alone. And that then is the motivation. And then in my Bible, it puts a break there. Anybody else between, between verses 11 and 12, right? Most of our Bibles probably break there. And it says, at least in mine, again, these are man-made, it says straining toward the goal. So you have Paul establishing or telling us what the foundation of discipleship is, right? It's the unmatched beauty of who Jesus is. The source of righteousness is not your works. But then he talks about what he's doing, what he's up to, what we call around here grace-driven effort. The things he's actually participating in. And, and before we get too far ahead of ourselves, verse 12 Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so what is Paul saying there to us as we look at whole life discipleship? That it is unfinished work. That we have not fully arrived and that we never will on this side of heaven, right? That there is this straining toward the goal of Christ's likeness in all of our lives as disciples. Now, does that frustrate anyone else? Okay, good. Somebody else, like you and I should have a conversation, right? Have coffee. Because 
for he and I, that, that's frustrating because I'm a person who likes accomplishment. Anybody else? I like to, I like to hey, at the end, of an, have an outcome and go, oh, isn't this good? It, can't you see what was accomplished in this? Here's what I have found in my 30-plus uh, years of walking with Jesus is that, yes, there is accomplishment, but sanctification is a beautifully frustrating work that God uses to shape and form me more and more into Jesus and rid myself of me and me and me, Right? Sanctification is about us decreasing and Christ increasing. And here's why it's frustrating. It's because God has designed it that way, right? Because if it were something we could accomplish, if it's something we could go, I have fully arrived, what would we boast in? How much God has done? No, we go look at myself. I've arrived. Why haven't you arrived? And so God has built sanctification to be this journey that is a continual growing in the image of Jesus, that we are a constant work in progress. And listen, in a disciple, there is progress. There is growth. The Holy Spirit is moving. In verse 15, this is where I want to camp out just for a little bit. Look here, and this is where I've been, this is what really hit me as I was praying through for this, this week. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Um, I'm making an assumption about this room. And this is the assumption I'm making. That in this room, there should be a large number of mature disciples. Mature people who are following Jesus with their whole lives. And the reason I am making that assumption about a room like this is because of the context by which where we live, the culture that we live in. We're in the buckle of the what? Bible belt, right? Where most of you are really familiar with Sunday morning gatherings like this where the Bible is open, where the word of God is preached, which is beautiful and which is good, right? Amen. However... There is still a tendency in us, and so again, that's why I'm assuming that in this room there are mature disciples, and Paul actually addresses us. However, even in mature disciples, there are still blind spots. There are still those areas and arenas in our lives that we have not submitted over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that we have not surrendered to the spirit leading and guiding us. Paul even says, if you're mature, think this way. What way is that? Well, we need to think this way, meaning we need to understand the unmatched beauty of Jesus. We need to understand the source of our righteousness, and we need to understand that we have not arrived yet fully. And then he goes, look, this is just verse 15. And if in anything you think otherwise, if in anything else you lose sight of the unmatched beauty of Jesus, if in anything else you lose sight that the righteousness is not built on you or your deeds, that it's built on something other than Jesus Christ, or that you think you have fully arrived and you've got it all together, may God reveal that to you. And let's not forget, verse 15, he directs that at a very specific audience, mature disciples. If you're mature if you're someone who has heard the word of God, you've responded to the word of God by faith, you've responded to Jesus, let you not think otherwise. And if you think otherwise, may the spirit of God reveal it to you. What a grace, right? 
What a grace that God would reveal to us our folly. The lies that the enemy has even told us as believers. Now, hear me and remember the end goal of our formation, the end goal of our discipleship is worship. The end goal of us pursuing Jesus is Jesus. He's the means, he's the vehicle, he's the destination. He's he's everything that we might grow in awe of who he is. That is the goal of discipleship. That is the goal of all that we do. And so I... Here's where I really wrestle, and I think I wrestle as, as a, a, a teacher, as a pastor. I, I want to give you a list of ways in which we can maybe think otherwise. And this is where the Holy Spirit just gave me so much freedom this week. And even in this verse, it says that if you think anything otherwise, God will reveal it to you, mature disciple. Like, as a pastor, as a communicator, that is really helpful. Now, you, he, God uses sermons. He can use people. He uses community, your praxis groups. But even in this moment, in, as I was writing, the Lord was like, let me do my work. Because I think as, as, as sometimes as a communicator, as a pastor, I can give you lists and you go, I'm good on that list. And you not actually ask God, Lord, where is it in my life specifically that you're calling me toward or away from? What is it in, in my life that needs to reorient around you? And so I set that out there for us this morning because we're going to just allow the Spirit to do that here in a few moments. What are those, those areas that I think otherwise in? But I think for us, corporately, there are things that we wrestle with. The things that we, as a faith family, deal with. Things that hinder us in whole life discipleship as a community. And I'm speaking less on the individual level and more on our faith family level. For this group, again, remember I said we are a local church. We're hyper-localized. I'm speaking to this community of people. I don't think what we have here is a knowledge issue. I don't think what we have is a knowledge issue in this community. Meaning, I don't think that even the first three points of this sermon snuck up on any of you. Right? Right? Where you're like, what? I didn't know the worthiness of Jesus. <laughs> the source of my righteousness is not me. <laughs> Maybe some of you did praise God. You just heard the gospel, right? Awesome. But for most of you, it didn't sneak up on you that you're still a work in progress, if you're honest. Maybe my seven-year-old, but not you. I believe for us, the issue, again, is not knowledge. The issue for us is a faith issue. It's a decision issue to actually believe what we know, to actually put into practice whole life discipleship, to actually believe that our whole lives, that Jesus is actually worth it all. Again, for what's lacking is not the knowledge of who Jesus is, it's the practice of following the way of Jesus that he lays out for his disciples. You and Kyle, I... I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, right? I sing the song, which is amazing. But as we enter into this new year, I want to raise the question, are we actually following the Jesus of the Bible? Are we actually following the way Jesus lays out in his life and in the scriptures? Or are we following a modified version of that that we're comfortable with? Are we surrendering in theory, 
but not actually in practice. We've said with our lips and maybe intellectually, we know the right response is this, but yet our lives would tell a different story. And I think the thing for us corporately that, that will fight against whole life discipleship, and this has been true over the years, is distractions and divided desires in our hearts. Distractions caused by noise. We live in a uber noise-filled culture, all of us. Real noise, digital noise, filled with sound bites, attention-sucking devices, even the noise of good Christian content, right? We are just consumed with so much noise, so many voices telling us how to live, what to do, even voices not shaping us and forming us, but, but things that we, we read or things that we observe visually forming us and shaping us. That's the noise I'm talking about. And that will be a distraction in 2024, like it was in 2023, from our whole lives being surrendered to Jesus. Noise. What's the solution? Glad you asked. We'll get to that in week four of Revelation. How about our, unbi- our unbiblical paces that we live? By and large, and I'm, I'm in this community as well, we live paces in our lives. And what I mean by paces is our schedules, our lack of margin, the things that we are, are, are doing are unbiblical. To pers- in, in ter- if, if our hope or our desire is to be formed as whole life disciples, our pace and our schedules don't allow for it. And again, I want to submit to you this morning that, um, that if you think, and somebody's like, well, I, I, you know, I, I worry about not doing enough for the kingdom of God, or maybe you're going, hey, I, I, just, I don't want to be lazy. I, I, want, I, want, I want to be exhausted for the kingdom of God. Hear, hear me. I appreciate your heart, and I think I understand what you're saying. But the biblical response to laziness or the lack of doing is not busyness. The biblical response to laziness, the sin of laziness, is actually diligence. Diligently understanding what Jesus has called you and I into and away from. And so have you just filled your schedule and that been therapeutic, going, I'm doing so much for the kingdom, even those of you who are in vocational ministry, some of you, you are are living, we are living at an unbiblical pace. And we're doing it in the name of vocational ministry going, God, aren't you proud? Wait, where's the source of my righteousness? What I do? Or am I thoughtfully and prayerfully going, Lord, what do you want me to diligently be about? Diligence is the biblical counter to laziness. Have you been diligent with your time? Are there margins? Are there space for the things of God, the people of God? Is there rest for you to actually feel the presence of God encourage you and move in your heart, in your life? And some of you are going, you're right, I don't have margins. So I'm going to drop Bible study, I'm going to drop praxis groups, I'm going to drop serving, and every other Sunday I'm going to show up to church. No. More than one no there, by the way. And finally, um, like I said, not just distraction, but divided desires. Um, 
again, speaking to this community, and I appreciate um, just even the ability to be able to do this in a community that I know is open to what the Spirit wants. Um, but I believe one of the things we have seen, and we've taken the lead from culture, um, is that comfort has become our chief spiritual value. When I look at Paul's life, particularly even in Philippians 3, I am overcome just by his, like, it's all loss. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to lay down everything, including my physical life, for the glory of Jesus and for his name to be known. But what we have picked up is a, a, a weird version of this, but it, it's, it's all about our comfort, that that has become our spiritual, spiritual value, a high spiritual value, even in our community. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the Christian faith, discipleship, following Jesus with our whole lives, is going to be inherently uncomfortable. When I look at the words of Jesus, he goes, he, Matthew 16, deny yourself. Luke 14, take up your cross. Uh, John 15, uh, be subject to persecution. Hey, Paul even talks about that in 2 Timothy. To give up creature comforts, Luke chapter 9. To forsake priority of family, Luke chapter 9. To be willing to give up all material possession, Matthew chapter 19, Luke 14. To be crucified with Christ, Paul, Galatians 2, 20. And that's just the beginning. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And by the way, you don't have to manufacture any of this, so don't try. Some of you are going, okay, okay, Kyle, so it's got to be uncomfortable. How do I manufacture discomfort? <laughs> and by the way, the discomfort that Jesus brings is for your good. It's his grace. It's his love. C.S. Lewis, he wrote this. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity, he says. And C.S. Lewis says that because he knew his Bible. And he knew the Spirit of God where it would lead him and would draw him. Brett McCracken, he wrote a book um, in 2016, 2017. Um, and the title of the book is this, Uncomfortable, the Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. I love that the awkward and essential challenge of Christian community. And he says, there are eight marks or eight signs that your Christianity might be a little too comfortable. You want to know what those eight marks are? Listen to this. I'm not going to unpack them just for the sake of time. But he says this. He says, there's absolutely no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. It's 2024, y'all. I don't know if you know, but there's something happening in that. An eclipse, right? No? Oh, oh, yes. There's also that in November. Um, there's absolutely no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics, Democrat or Republican, right? There's no paradoxes, tensions, or unresolved questions in your heart. You're not wrestling through the things of God, the, right? The, the, the Trinity, right? Or, or whatever it may be. Your friends and coworkers are surprised to learn that you're a church-going Christian. You never think about or even remember the Sunday sermon on Monday. I'm just going to let that one sit there, okay? No one at your church ever annoys you. You're like, Kyle, you're annoying me right now, so check that box, right? And, and can I just make a point here? Um, that, that, that is really, and I know Michael talked about community last week and did, did, did such a great job. Um, but even when, and I'm not trying to bring too much guilt, but let conviction go where conviction needs to go. If you show up late to a gathering like this, you're not allowing for the Spirit to use you in that moment of fellowship and interaction with people and then when you sneak out early, right? 
So arrive early and stay late and allow the Spirit to use you, right? Allow the Spirit to annoy you with some people around here, okay? Like, I, I mean that, like, in a genuine way. Like, that's a really important part of being part of a gathering, especially since we only gather like this once a week. You never feel challenged, only affirmed. Seven, you never had to have a truth and love conversation with a fellow Christian. No one in your church could comment on any area of growth they've seen in you. And so as a corporate body, some of the most basic things that we do are part of whole life discipleship to resist the cultural pull and the natural inclinations of our hearts. Look at verse 19, by the way, in Philippians chapter 3. What he describes there is people who are opposers to the gospel, where they're about their own bellies, right? Their own comfort. They, 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 they celebrate shame in others. They are lured by earthly desires. Like, th those are the things as believers, as, as whole life disciples, we want to reject and resist, right? And so let me tell you, some of the most basic things we do here as a community work to resist those things. Things like giving. Giving of uh, time, talents, treasures. I'm talking about all three. Sacrificial generosity in our lives from our pocketbooks. Listen, that pushes against this cultural tendency to be comfortable. Okay, I'll, I'll give to where I'm comfortable, right? I'll give until, uh, until that point where I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm uncomfortable. What if the Lord's asking you to shape you, inform you in that area to go past where you're comfortable to where you're not comfortable? Serving. Serving, and, and again, I'm talking about the corporate body. Serving in this body. Serving one another as the scriptures call us to. So you go, Kyle, I just haven't found that area that I feel called to. Here's what I want you to do. Keep praying. Keep praying until you find that area. But in the meantime, serve in an area you don't feel called to. Serve in an area that simply has a need that is in your faith family, and you step in, and you serve, and you fill that gap, and you fill that hole. And what I found when people do that, and some of you have done this, you find so much joy that you're like, this is what you called me into. Just being a sacrificial servant. Like, there, listen to me. There are, there are some massive needs within our faith. Listen, our church has grown for our church at unprecedented rates over the last two years. We have 70 more adults in the next service going through covenant partnership. That means there's 400 more kids joining our church, okay? I'm serious. It opens these opportunities. I mean, our team, three, three four weeks ago, sent out a need in, in, in the Littles area, just going, hey, we, need, we have 20 spots because of the growth, because of what's happening. We need 20 more people to serve in this area. You know how many people responded to that? About as many people as just said amen right there. Zero. I'm going to send an email tomorrow. I'm not joking. Because I believe not just that we need to fill the gaps, but I believe this is part of our Christian formation. This is part of us being whole life disciples. 
And it's not just going to be around serving. It's going to be around serving, and we need you to step in and to serve. And second, it's going to be around community, around praxis groups, about us jumping into deep relationships with one another, pursuing Jesus together. Listen, please, please respond to these, not because, not because we need more people, because we believe in the way in which Jesus is calling us together to be formed by the Holy Spirit. That's giving, that's serving, that's, that's in community. And Tessa, you guys come up. I don't want us to be a church that simply talks about discipleship, about formation, have really pretty language around it, quote all the right guys and all the right gals on formation. I want us to be a church that is actually participating with Jesus, that is doing what he has called us to do, that he, that he is becoming, that we are becoming more like him, that we would be marked as true disciples. I love what Brett McCracken, in that book, he says this, he says, why is it important that we avoid falling into comfortable Christianity? Because comfortable Christianity is far from the costly, inconvenient, idol-crushing, cross-shaped path for disciples of Jesus. Comfortable Christianity has little prophetic to say to a comfortable, consumeristic world. That is the world we live in. Those are the waters, whether you realize it or not, that we swim in. Comfortable Christianity has little urgency and mission and little aptitude for growth. May we be a body of people fully committed to Jesus, putting into practice all of the knowledge we have learned over the years and over the weeks here at the church. That we become extraordinary in the everyday the ordinary things of God. That we would not be a people who have surrendered in theory, but we, we've been a people of surrender that lead us to deep joy, that lead us to deep worship and deep awe of who Christ is. That's what I desire. That's what I'm praying for, for my heart, for my family, and for this church for 2024. That's what I'm praying. Listen to me. I'm kind of letting a little cat out of the bag here with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was not written to scare and frighten and to be a big question mark. The book of Revelation was written to evoke worship out of a body, out of a church to go, there's hope. There's victory. He's worthy. He's worthy of your whole life. Tessa wrote this song this week, and I've had to listen to it at our house the whole week called Surrender in Theory. And I said, will you sing that at the end? And then we're going to take communion after this. I know I've taken a few extra moments, but we're going to take communion after this. But just listen to this. Again, this is a song written out of our community for our community. And uh, pray that the Spirit moves. We ask for revival, but don't want to pray. We talk about changing and walk our own way, anxiously striving, never learned how to Convinced by illusion 
frustrating to be at my house this week um, because the Lord simultaneously Philippians 3 in this song together shaping convicting and Hosa when she get ready to dismiss, to dismiss us for communion it's interesting every week we end with communion the body and blood of Jesus surrendered handed over Jesus gave himself for us. So we do this in what? In remembrance of his surrender. It's that surrender 
that is the fuel and the foundation for our surrender of our life. Listen, our God never asks of us something he hasn't infinitely and eternally done before us.